Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow is underway on this Tuesday edition. Glad you're with us. If we're joining via YouTube, we say thank you. Enjoy it live right now. You can subscribe. Search out Outkick if you're joining us on X, formerly known as Twitter. The one tweet you have right now, the live link, it's up. It's ready to go. Hop on the live stream and on this great radio partner as well. Hutton with you. Withrow is back tomorrow. He's enjoying a well-deserved day off. Crew here in Nashville always doing a phenomenal job and a jam-packed show as usual. Coming up in 20 minutes, we talk all things college football with Trey Wallace of Outkick.com. Does great work for us and the site as our senior college football reporter. Uh, Later this hour, or coming up in an hour rather, Christian Hackenberg, former quarterback at Penn State. Uh, He joins us one hour from right now. Uh, Much to discuss with Penn State, the Big Ten, how he sees things stacking up across college football right now. John McClain, who's covered the NFL for five decades, Pro Football Hall of Fame selector, Pro Football Hall of Fame member. He'll join us and break down what was week five, heading into a pivotal week six, and the trade deadline just around the corner. And Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, he hops on with us as he does each and every Tuesday in hour number three. Uh, much to, uh, to dive into, and we start with a, a big injury note across the NFL, and maybe for the trade deadline. Justin Jefferson, he is headed to injured reserve. Hamstring injury, suffered on Sunday uh, against the Chiefs, fourth quarter, and only had three catches on six targets to that point. Went back and tried to get a second opinion, maybe a third opinion on the hammy, and they had mentioned in Minnesota they were, they were going to try to protect him from himself. They weren't going to allow him to play if he if he couldn't go through the rest of that game. And, of course, he could not. And now he's placed on injured reserve, and he's out for at least a month or so. They decided to shut him down. And that leads Minnesota into a situation where they're down their best receiver by a mile, by the way. His 570 yards or so, even though he missed a, a portion of this game, it's well ahead of the next top targets in Minnesota, TJ Hawkinson and Jordan Addison. Uh, what we've seen from Jefferson is better than those two combined. And in Jefferson's direction, whenever he gets the football, he gets over 10 yards per target. The other players well underneath that. So what about Kirk Cousins? What about the one and four Minnesota Vikings? Next up for them, the Bears, Niners, and Packers. The overtime loss to Kansas City Shows you that they can compete. They were just winning close games last year. Now they're losing close games in 2023. And what does that set up for 2024? We know Cousins is unlikely to be back. In fact, the contract that we've seen for Hawkinson, we know they're going to pay Jefferson. And they've invested in Addison. They're likely to invest in another quarterback, maybe through the draft. At 1-4, and four, going to Chicago facing San Francisco, and then taking on Green Bay, the deadline happens right after the Packers matchup. What happens to this Minnesota team? 
What happens to Kirk Cousins? Is he on the move? It seems unlikely that the Jets would be involved in something like that. But if the Jets pick up another victory, who's to say they don't jump in the mix and try to make it back-to-back years where they're playoff contenders? I don't think the Jets are a playoff contender with Zach Wilson. I think the media wants to buy into that. And what they forget in uh, about what happened Sunday is they're playing the Denver Broncos defense. The Jets need a quarterback. The Jets could be in line to make a move, but it would take an outstanding performance by the Jets' defense and maybe another crazy passing performance by Wilson to get a trade done. Again, they're investing a lot of money to Rodgers and the rest of that lineup. Probably not going to invest in the remaining contract for Cousins, who is a free agent after this season. And unless they can trade him, he will be highly sought after uh, going into the offseason. Speaking of Jefferson's, Van Jefferson is the next receiver to discuss. He has been traded to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, This according to uh, Ian Rappaport and what was a a late-round swap of picks. And Cooper Cup returns for the Rams. He's back in the lineup. You have Puka Nakua, who is still doing great things. Somehow they found a way to get both on the field. Miraculous, I know, after all that talk. And Jefferson was out of the rotation on Sunday. He played, what, I think all of two snaps. And he wasn't really performing even whenever Cooper Cup was uh, hobbled with his injury. Uh, Tutu Atwell was, was getting more of that. There's a swap of sixth and seventh round picks in 2025 that sends uh, Jefferson to Atlanta. And here are the Atlanta Falcons jumping into the mix for a receiver that has been good, not great, has flashed, but hasn't been consistent. And he joins a group that's probably described in the same way in Atlanta based on the way they run their offense. He'll be paired with Drake London. Uh, He joins a a group, of course, with a a, a solid tight end in Kyle Pitts, who has not lived up to expectation. Jonu Smith is starting to get some looks there, too, at tight end. Mac Hollins is there. Uh, But the Falcons are gaining another receiver that's a lot like the guys that they have. I'm surprised Kansas City wasn't involved, quite frankly. And the reason for that is what we've seen from their wide receiving core. The defending Super Bowl champions lack in this area heavily. I think they will be a player at the deadline for this position. No longer a juggernaut is how I would describe KC. And the reason for that is if they lose Kelsey, they're pretty much done. And... Not done in, in terms of being competitive. They have Patrick Mahomes who's going to keep them in games and win them games. I'm saying done from the, are we going to see Kansas City run it back? I had them running it back in the preseason. They're my Super Bowl uh, prediction. I just thought we'd see more from a receiving group that was highly touted and, and quite frankly, highly paid. And we haven't seen that ty- type of production. They're missing that true number one guy. Tyreek Hill, of course, but even Juju Smith-Schuster has not been replaced in this offense from a year ago. They have the $10 million per year guy in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. If you're like me, I have him on the fantasy roster. He's on the bench. He's not producing. Six receptions, 100 yards. You have Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice. Rasheed Rice has been cool, been good, but not great. He's a Role player, possession guy, speed guy, not a number one guy. 
Kadarius Toney, the thing we think about him immediately is week one, Thursday night, and the drops against the Lions. He has to redeem himself. I think the Chiefs will be in the market. Van Jefferson, maybe you could say, is a lot like the guys we're describing here. I think the Chiefs need to be in the market for a receiver whenever things heat up. Davey Hudson joins us uh, in studio. Davey, what do you make of uh, the receiver news today across the NFL? Definitely a blow for the Vikings as it relates to Kirk Cousins. While his future there is definitely just this season, I don't see a situation where they bring him back. He does have a no-trade clause. I thought it'd be interesting, you know, if you want to kind of take a shot in the dark, send him back to Washington. Now, he's probably not going to agree to do that, but I, I don't like Sam Howell. They have some weapons well, on the outside. Well, he didn't want to leave. He said he, he admitted he didn't want to leave Washington when he left. It's under new ownership. Maybe they're able to strike a deal. That he might will be go, something. Hey, he will go anywhere. He will waive the no trade. He will go anywhere he will be paid. That guy has made a ton of money, guaranteed dollars, for being a, a quarterback that's known for not winning the big the big-time games in the regular season when it matters. And at forever didn't win in prime time. And last year was one and done in the playoffs. I, I look at the NFC, and at this point, there are a few teams that I would be willing to strike out as far as playoff consideration goes because it's just not that great of a conference. And I, I definitely agree that having Kirk Cousins over Sam Howe would be a massive upgrade. As it relates to Van Jefferson, I'm not sure how good his run-blocking ability is, but it has to be great because that's the only reason <laughs> the Falcons would go out and get somebody. Although – Ritter threw for how many yards? Like 300 yards this past weekend? He somehow, yeah. Against he, Houston? <laughs> he, he had a good performance. Uh, I, I lost my uh, my guaranteed pick, my survivor pool pick. Yeah, uh, people, if if you're unfortunate enough to own Falcons wide receivers, you were actually upset this one week in fantasy because yes. they actually utilized them. But They actually did it. Terrible break for Vikings fans. And, I mean, you're 1-4. The schedule's not exactly favorable coming up outside of the Chicago game, which at this point, that could still be a toss-up anytime you have those in-division opponents. So, And Justin Fields has played well the last two weeks. You know, that, to his credit, I know it's hard to believe, but he has done that. Yeah, it's, it's time for, I mean, use that first-round pick on Jordan Addison. I'm not a big believer in K.J. Jefferson. He has a lot of opportunities, but he also has a lot of drops. So, They'll be able to sling it. It's just whether the receivers will actually be able to make plays once they have the ball in their hands. That remains to be seen. Coming up, uh, David, we've got our uh, predictions, maybe some adjustments on what we believe to be the college football playoff format and, and layout coming up in January. Uh, and last weekend, we, we saw the race for the college football playoff begin to take shape. And I'll give... Uh, my, my perfect 14 playoff for this year in, in just a moment. And then later we'll get into, I actually am going to bet on for being there. But first, just some quick thoughts from me on what I've watched so far. Uh, and specifically just uh, glancing through the last three weeks, Ohio state, Marvin Harrison, Jr. Fantastic. You know, this past weekend, 163 yards, eight or nine catches. I believe aside from him though, I'm still trying to figure out what else they have. I want to believe in the Buckeyes. I'm just not all in yet. North Carolina, Louisville, and Florida State are all unbeaten, and they do not play one another. What happens if they all remain unbeaten? It's not unlike it, it is unlikely, uh, not impossible. And here's Louisville, one of the best stories in college football. They just knocked off Notre Dame. They could be a playoff team. Again, unlikely, not impossible. And suddenly, look at the calendar. It's October the 10th, and it appears Alabama and Georgia, they've reclaimed their role as the top of the mountain 
in the SEC. If Alabama beats Tennessee, they have a path to the playoff if they just simply went out in the regular season. Georgia, they finally showed us who they are in the beatdown of Kentucky. Chad crushed this in uh, his analysis and, and preview of this game last week. Carson Beck passed for nearly 400 yards, four touchdowns. Brock Bowers, seven catches, 130 yards. 51-13 is the final score over Kentucky. Beck became the first Georgia quarterback since Aaron Murray, which was, what, 2012-2013. Three straight 300-yard passing performances. He's got 11 touchdowns, two or three interceptions on the season. That's through six games. The offense continues to get better. The offense has produced when it mattered in second halves, even when they weren't playing very well early in games between the hedges. And now it's a defense that looks more like a great group over the last six quarters. Georgia seems like Georgia. And then there's, hey, Ole Miss. Not getting enough credit because they lost to Bama. First two-and-one start in conference play, though, for Lane Kiffin. And a chance, a chance to finish 10-2 and two with the only losses being to Bama and Georgia. Again, unlikely, not impossible. LSU and USC are both very, very confusing to me. They won last weekend, close, great games, great college football games. You're a football fan, you love them. Um, their defenses, though, they're just too bad to make them any legit contenders for their conference, let alone for the college football playoff. And Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley have some massive issues. Now, they're not going to compete in the Pac-12 or the SEC when it is in regards to trying to win their conference title and go on to the conference championship and, excuse me, the, the national championship uh, playoff. And then for USC, I think it's, it's more telling for me this past weekend. TCU had a lot of those uh, survive and advance type games. They had like five or six of those last year. That did not feel that way to me against Arizona for USC. This was more of a warning sign. And I look ahead to their schedule. They've got Notre Dame. I, I think Notre Dame has a, a, a solid chance to, to pull the upset this weekend. Warning signs there that USC is just not elite. They're elite on offense. They're great on offense, just not on defense. And Oregon and Washington, Pac-12, will we, are we going to see a team finish undefeated? I mean... I doubt it. Based on the the competitive nature of that conference, it's been really, really good. But it does play into my perfect, my favorite, that the the matchups I'm wanting to see in the college football playoff for what I'm rooting for. And it starts in the in the Pac-12. Is there a scenario where we could see two teams get into the college football playoff from the Pac-12? Sure. I'm I'm hoping for it. I'm 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 not putting my money behind it. But Washington and Oregon, they're at the top of the conference. Let's say it's the game of the year. And then the loser of this weekend's game ends up beating the winner in another close matchup in the Pac-12 title game. Penn State is arriving to the top of the Big Ten, or at least they think they are. They have a chance to do more than just play spoiler, and we'll get into that with Christian Hackenberg coming up a bit later. Can Penn State claim that top spot? This is the year to do it. This is the year to take advantage. Can they do it? Can James Franklin do that? And then what if Georgia just isn't the Goliath? What if we haven't seen them 
really show who they are and they drop a game? What if they lose a game, then lose in the SEC title game to a two-loss Bama, for instance? What happens if Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan all finish with a loss and then the Big Ten title game doesn't go as planned? Texas and Oklahoma, imagine a, a, a two-team representation for the Pac-12 and the college football playoff, either Texas or Oklahoma, because I think they'll rematch in the, in the Big 12 championship game. They're both headed to the SEC. You've got Oregon and Washington again headed to the Big Ten. And then there's Penn State, who we haven't seen to arrive to this level yet. Or can it be Florida State that can crack through the ACC? The conference's losing teams to the power two would actually see in my pipe dream of a scenario actually see big-time success, only to lose out to those same conferences the following season. It feels, though, like it's that type of year across college football. It's been a blast, and there's some big matchups ahead. Trey Wallace joins us next. We'll dive in to the week that's ahead. That's next, right here on Hot Mike. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Ehop Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. I'm with Hunter Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Trey Wallace of Outkick.com is the senior college football reporter. He joins me now. Trey, another exciting weekend, man, uh, both last weekend and the one coming up. Hope you're doing well. I, I'm doing good, buddy. It's always great to join you, Jonathan. Um, yeah, man. What? A, yeah, just a, I'm staying up till two thirty in the morning, working, <laughs> watching to see if USC is going to lose. And, yeah. Uh, and now we get another crazy week where you know USC is is one of the primetime games, you know, with Notre Dame coming up. So it just you know a, a lot of craziness in college football, and and you know don't forget Deion Sanders, ten o'clock Friday night. ESPN should be fun. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, uh, also fun is, uh, I mean, Alabama, and uh, th- look, their games are sloppy. Milrow has been fun to watch the last two games since he was benched. And then on the flip side, it looks like Georgia is the Georgia that we expected to see uh, finally in, in their blowout win over Kentucky. Is it, are we starting to see the separation again at the top between these two programs and the rest of the group? You know, it's interesting, you know, how things played out. That was a curb stomping uh, in yes. Athens. Uh, and, and, and you know, to me, that was finally Georgia putting it all together on offense and defense from the start, not not lackadaisical waiting for the second half to get going. That's a big thing that stood out to me for Georgia is, you know, Carson Beck and the way he was able to spread it out with receivers and whatnot. And that offense was clicking. I, you know, and, and, and the Kentucky thing, too, is, you know, Kentucky just wasn't as good, you know, we, we sort of saw that coming with their schedule. Um, but it doesn't mean they can't be a good team. It's just they got shut down. Um, I think, with look, Texas A&M, Alabama, I, I thought Texas A&M was going to win that football game um, and I, before it started. Uh, I think Alabama, 
kind of asserted their dominance in the second half when it came on defense. I mean, you look at all the penalties and how sloppy Alabama was for the entire game. But then you look at at how they got after Texas A&M and it really forced Max Johnson, you know, into some mistakes when it comes to protection quarterback for, for Texas A&M. Um, and, and look, Jalen Milrow is, you know, he's one of those quarterbacks, man, that you can't underestimate him because he's going to come back and he's going to punch you right back in the mouth. Um, and, and that's something I'm learning. I think we're all learning with Alabama and Jalen Milroe this season is that the offense is going to look different like each game. It just yeah. depends on who you're playing on defense, Jonathan. And, you know, for me, it's the fo- – and I always thought this was just so just – so, I'll, I'll be nice and say naive maybe mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. But the folks that said, okay – you know, after the Texas lost it, you know, all right, this is Nick Saban. He, he's going to end it, the career this year. He's going to retire. He's going on Pat McAfee. He's doing more media. He's more calm and more, you know, energetic and smiling more. I just think the guy's enjoying the college football season. I don't think it has to do anything with retiring. So, look, three and a half weeks ago, everybody was wanting to dig Nick Saban's grave. Now he's sticking his hand out of the grave and saying, no, 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 not so fast. We have a team that could play for an SEC championship this year, and if they don't drop another game, you know, I I heard your conversation with Dan Mullen yesterday, Jonathan, and I thought it was fascinating. It could get very tricky once we get down to that final weekend in November heading into title weekend that following week. Yeah, and the conference championship games are going to matter more. It seems like the weight will be on those games a lot more, Um, especially if you consider – like. It's not out of the realm of possibility that a two-loss SEC champion could come out of Atlanta. You know, like just how the season's yeah. gone. And how would the committee choose a two-loss SEC title team against a, a one-loss Pac-12? You've got a one-loss Big Ten. Again, one-loss ACC. And either the, the, the winner of Texas-Oklahoma, which feels like we're headed towards that rematch too later. That, 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 I, that to he- me, is a massive storyline. Yeah, and I, I think it's a bit of a dose of reality uh, that the SEC is not going to get two teams in the playoff this year. Yeah, I think I think the way we can look at that right now and the schedule and how things are going to play out, it's going to be really hard to do. There's going to have to be, you know, the Pac-12 is going to have to fall apart. I don't expect that to happen. Oregon and Washington are going to play this weekend in a seven-eight matchup. Whoever loses that game is not out of the national championship race. They'll probably drop a spot, you know, if it's not a blowout. And then, you you know, you look at USC, you're talking about the Pac-12, having to go to Notre Dame this weekend. Can the Irish respond? Uh, to in my opinion, I think they were just overly exhausted over those previous two weeks. And now they get USC at home coming off that loss to Louisville. Uh, it's just a lot can happen, especially in the Big Ten. You know, what? what is the trifecta of Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan going to look like? And then you talk about, we talk about the ACC, and, and the teams that, you know, don't have to play Louisville. And, yes. and so are we setting up now for some weird scenario at the end where, you know, could there be like a undefeated ACC team not involved somehow in the playoff? Or if they are involved, you know, is it going to be a head-to-head matchup? Type? It just a lot is changing in college football. And I think it's good for the sport. Um, and, and I think that, you know, can Michigan get back 
That's the biggest thing right now that's in the back of my mind. It's like, can Michigan get back to the playoff for a third time in a row, and can they finally do something with it? I think we're going to start finding out soon once they play a little bit of a tougher schedule. But, Jonathan, I'm I'm right there with you, man. We're in a, a flux of just crazy college football times in a sense of how things are going to play out towards the end of the season. I think that's what's going to make the last seven weeks so exciting. What do you make of Oregon and Washington? And what could be the best regular season matchup of the entire college football season? How crazy is this going to be? I mean, be I, awesome. I, up in Washington, in the Spokane area, and, you know, you, you've got, I think it's a 7-8 matchup, you know, according to the latest polls. And this is, you know, one of those games where you expect, like, for the Pac-12 championship. Yes. You know, you don't, you don't think it's going to come – you know, during you know the the second week of October, I, I look just on paper, Bo Nix versus Michael Penix Jr. That you can't get that, that's a show right there. Like everybody's been talking about Dion and they're putting on a show. No, 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 no. Wait till Saturday afternoon when those two teams face off. That's going to be the. I think it's going to be the best game of the day. I think it'll be out beat out USC Notre Dame and whatnot. And 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 I look at it. It's, it's an offensive fireworks show. And the biggest thing is, which defense is going to be the one that steps up? I, I just, it's going to be, it's not going to be an eliminator. That's one thing for sure. Won't be a title eliminator uh, because I don't think USC is good enough, in my honest opinion, to, to you know, not drop two games. I see them losing two games. And it could start this weekend in South Bend, which, Jonathan, makes that Oregon-Washington game so important. Yep, and then, uh, of course, Louisville beating Notre Dame opens the door uh, for what what could be a – I mean, you've got the the top three teams in the ACC that don't play one another. It's it's a bizarre round-robin that we're not going to see. Uh, and and then you have the, the, the spoiler aspect of the real craziness can happen based on what could take place down the road for – the Tennessee Volunteers, they're not going to, uh, to me, Trey, they're not the team that's going to Atlanta, but what happens if they pull one of those upsets against Bama on the road in Tuscaloosa, if they beat Georgia, let's say Georgia's not the Goliath, and here's A&M coming to town in a really interesting matchup, the three thirty game on CBS, the Aggies are one and eight on their, uh, their last nine road games, and yeah. They're going to Neyland in what's going to be a, a very interesting football game. Yeah, 3.30 on Saturday. It's going to be pretty wild. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think when you look at Texas A&M, I think they've kind of been exposed so far. I think what they did in Miami and then what happened, you know, this past weekend when everybody thought that they were going to beat. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about everybody within the program thought that they were going to beat Alabama. You come off that high and then now you got to go back to back and you got to go to Neyland where Tennessee's feeling it right now. And, and they're trying to, you know, figure out the next steps on offense without a Brew McCoy, but they still got a really great rushing attack. You got an offensive line that's being put back together now with Cooper Mays. It's back. I just, I just think that game is going to be Tennessee's to lose. Um, I, I think that they have enough on offense. I think they have enough on defense to get after Mike Max Johnson. Now you brought it up. The crazy part here is what if Tennessee goes down to Tuscaloosa and, and, and Alabama is beatable. So I can, yeah. you know, this is not Alabama teams, but what if Tennessee goes to Tuscaloosa and pulls off that win? Um, and then let's just say Tennessee's hot 
So we'll take the Alabama game. What if they beat Georgia at home? Like, like yeah, said, if like, Milton has the game of his life in one of these games. Right. And you got a receiver that goes off like we saw Hyatt do last year. Maybe not five touchdowns, but maybe right. three. Right. I'm just I'm just saying it could get crazy. And what it's going to do is it's going to throw the SEC into flux because then you're going to have a one-loss Tennessee team maybe. Well, then the open, it opens it for Ole Miss again. Like, again, like it just kind of – in the Bama scenario, it could get really – and it feels like that type of year. And not just in the SEC, but across the board. Mm-hmm. Penn State's going to have a lot to say in the Big Ten. I don't know if it op- – look, if it opens it up for an Ole Miss or even an LSU um, – and by the way, LSU, just one conference loss. You know right. what I mean? So, you know, you, we have to – you look at all the different variables in this situation, there are probably four or five teams that could benefit out of somebody from the East, you know, taking care of somebody from the West. And and, and we've seen that in years past, but also at this standpoint, this thing, when it comes to the college football playoff, if Georgia drops a game and they go into that SEC title game and you got to face a two loss SEC West team, it's going to be very interesting to see the dynamics of the college football playoff heading into that and where we are as college football, you know, the, the top five rankings in the country. So because of all the big games we get later in the season and the rivalry games, Jonathan, so it's going to be a little maddening. It's going to be a little bit nerve wracking for some teams, but this next seven weeks, man, this is, this is going to be something to tune into because I think for the first time in a very, very long time, we have a lot of parity in college football this year, and, and the dominant conference might not be the SEC as a whole. Um, also, Missouri, but despite the loss, I mean, seeing what we saw from Cook and Burden, they can also, yeah. like I mentioned, Tennessee with Georgia. Missouri's going to give both Tennessee and Georgia struggles. I, I, it, it would, I don't want to say Georgia. It wouldn't surprise me if Missouri beats Tennessee. Um, you know, just like it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Kentucky, Missouri had this crazy game this weekend and all of a yeah. sudden, you know, I, I, I'm just saying it's there, there's so much, I think there's so many questions in the SEC because what do we think going into the Georgia Kentucky game? We think, okay, this is the Georgia team that really hasn't pounced on anybody yet. The, the kind of lackadaisical on offense in the first half. And they just came out and they just beat down Kentucky, but can they do that consistently? That's the thing that stands out to me. We have not seen Georgia do it consistently through five or six games this season. So if they can, they're going to be playing in Atlanta. If not, somebody's going to catch them, and there might not be only one team. Well, and you bring up Georgia and the, the Kentucky matchup again. Like Stoops was asked about this, right? Or was it the coaches' show? And he said, yeah. "Hey, uh, and you wrote about this at Outkick. Um, yeah, they they bought some good players, and they're a really good football team." He's speaking truth as well. Yeah. Like, that's, I mean, that's, that's an just, obvious point. That's an obvious point. And I think it rubbed some folks the wrong way because it came off a loss to Georgia. And I think it also rubbed some folks the wrong way because when he was talking about, you know, we got to get some better players and whatnot. It's kind of like, oh, you're crapping on your roster. I think that's how fans yeah. look at it. And when He's brought all, in Will Levis and Devin Leary at quarterback too. So, I mean, where did he get his starting running back from right, this year? right. I think NIL was a factor in that. So I, I, I'm just saying, I think he was truthful. I think it was the wrong time to probably come out and say, not like Mike Gundy, who's out here telling folks, you know, I wrote about that. It just came out a little bit ago. Hey, guys, 
don't invest in the school. Don't invest in facilities and weight rooms and all that. No, no, no. Just give all that money towards NIL because we got to, We need it. We got to go out and buy players. Loxley was saying that too at Maryland. He's like, hey, you know, uh, we open up this mega facility. Doesn't really mean all that much in recruiting anymore. Isn't no it wild? Big deal. How, the, how the times have changed. Where we're not talking about game rooms. We're not talking about weight rooms. We're not talking about, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in Tennessee, you know, 15 minutes from where I'm from right now, you know, they're building a whole new yeah. section of their athletic you know, complex. And when all reality, maybe if Josh Heupel's pro- if Josh Heupel is honest about that, he might say the same thing as, as Stoops and, and maybe Gundy does. Well, the, unlike those, Heupel gets both. You know, he's got the collective and he has the facilities behind him. Isn't it? Um, it's, 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 it's a question that's going to have to be answered down the road. And I'm very curious, and we'll talk about this further, I'm sure, on the yep. other day. But how much are athletic departments suffering right now from having to make the decision, fans and donors are, do we give to the collective <laughs> or do we give to the school? Yeah, that's crazy. I think that's the biggest thing that kind of stands out to me the most. Trey, always great, man. Keep up the great work. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, buddy. Have a great week. Same to you. There's Trey Wallace, Outkick.com. Coming up, what a night for the Braves and what a finish. That's next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Coming up, Christian Hackenberg will join us. If you're joining us on YouTube, we say thank you. You can subscribe to the channel. If you found the one link we're tweeting out today on OutKick, thank you for that as well. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on. Chad back with us tomorrow uh, here on the show. And uh, we've got John McClain coming up in about 40 minutes too. Uh, Davey Hudson joins us as we go into the top headlines of the day. Uh, Carlos Correa, well, making some history. Congrats. Uh, the, the villain of Major League Baseball. Is he really a villain of Major League Baseball? Let's first say that. Uh, yeah, he's, he's making history about uh, he's passing Derek Jeter and David Ortiz with his two RBI in game two. He now has uh, 63 runs batted in now in the postseason. Uh, and, of course, that is helped by the uh, sign stealing. But... I mean, Major League Baseball and the commissioner gave him the free pass. Everybody here is, uh, you know, just welcome to set records. And, you know, while he's not going to the Hall of Fame because there are voters who, you know, hold the right to uh, to vote on the Hall and never even vote on anyone. Um, yeah, I see. Big deal. They're surpassing these guys because Major League Baseball allowed it to happen. I don't think he's like the main villain for the MLB, but the fact they're asking him about this afterwards and he's saying like, man, I got to let that sink in. That's uh, that's huge news where it's like, well, I think it would be interesting. I don't know if anyone's actually calculated the number of RBIs that he had during that stretch that added on to it. But just based off everything we do know, I like it's definitely 
like I would say probably 70% of records in Major League Baseball. Like I'm putting an asterisk next to it. Yeah, but uh, well, so, exactly. Like, that's the, the, like my you have the asterisk. Thing here, like the, the entire game right now has how many asterisks next to players? That's that's the thing for me. It's like what? I, like I, I just records, don't give a damn about this. Keeping, like because Major League Baseball is this. Well, we talked about it yesterday, Hut, with like the year where they were mixing different types of baseballs that were being yes. thrown out there. It's like, yes. how, why do I care about any of these records that you all have whenever I can't trust that any of them well, are legit to begin with well, based off playing by the rules of the game? Right, right. And, and the all, you know, the high and mighty, uh, the, the old school mentality of the, you know, b- baseball's about the records. Well, uh, okay, great. But every year we're going to see this with an asterisk uh, uh, with, with some yeah. player. Because it's, again, when when this stuff happens, you're allowed to just continue to play. That's how they treated this. You know, uh, uh, A Rod rolled on uh, the during all the HGH and and that investigation rolled on players. No one was uh, Ryan Braun, I believe, was suspended for a, a slight amount of time, and that was uh, there was one other, and that was it, I believe. Was it Manny Ramirez and Ryan Braun? That sounds right. I, uh, there was a lot more than that going on. I mean, miraculously, right now in the age of sports wagering, we're suspending players in college football and in the NFL. And miraculously, we just no one bets in Major League Baseball. No one. No one gambles. The the thing you just for only me focus too. on what you want. And in, in this case, it was banging on a, a trash can in Houston. And with Major League Baseball, I mean, they'll have records that go back to the early 1900s where I'm just like, it's a completely different game. I don't even know why we even look to these records. Yeah, it's cool if you want to be a historian of the game and you like to keep up with that. But as far as them flashing a graphic on the screen of like, wow, this is the first time this has happened since 1908, I don't give a damn. Yeah, no, I I agree with you totally. Now, what I do care about is the finish last night in Atlanta. Electric. That is a game. You know, they, they come from behind victory. Uh, down four, they win 5-4 Braves over Phillies. And the way it happened with the incredible double play uh, where Harris traveled, what, 96 feet, was it? I mean, he used and, every, and every bit of room he had. Throws back. They get the double play at first with Harper. And the way Harper was busting it, too, to get back. I mean, the whole thing was insane. And And... That has been the season of the Atlanta Braves. That has been the season, really, of the top of Major League Baseball. It's been a very, very entertaining and fast-paced game. And that's what I want as a former all-in baseball fan growing up and the casual one that's tuning in now. Give me reasons to watch. Give me the thrill ride. And they're doing that this year. Uh, they got down 4 to nothing. It looked as though the offense was anemic once again, and I don't know if like they made a sacrifice to Joe Boo or what, but they yeah. ended up having the bats wake up, and that's what they do, man. It was, it was one of those. I mean, I turned it off, and like I, I saw people just being like, "Man, the Braves!" Like postseason comes, Phillies are able just to shut them out again, and and then I actually was able to see that final play live, and I mean Harper. It's one of those things where we might go back again. They were still down a run, but it's. Does that come back to be the moment the series turned and it's just now the Braves are on their way to winning a World Series? I mean, that that was definitely – just also whenever Harris threw that ball back, like it went through two guys uh, before um, – oh, gosh, who ended up scooping that up and throwing it to uh, Olsen? I, I'm drawing a blank. I don't. It might have been Riley. I think Riley was the guy who ended up catching it. Who also it. hit the homer. Yeah, he also had that. So – 
It, it was just an electric finish, and uh, happy for Braves fans. You're able to to watch that one live after what you'd seen the the first really game and a half of the series. And no series. one thought no one thought he was going to get to the ball. That was the other no. thing. Harper or you know the Phillies manager, they all admitted like crazy that he tracked it down and then doubled him up. And then to have the game in that way was also oh, incredible. Yeah. Close it out on that double play. Never seen anything like it. And and, and that's the other thing about the game. You don't talk about the history of the game. It, there are days, plural, every season where you see something you've never seen the game before. That's the history and the facts from 1902 or whatever that I want to hear about. Right? Uh, not something like if, if Correa is, you know, the – if he is the, uh, the the outlier that doesn't need to be mentioned in the record book, books, then I don't know why we're propping him up as that in the post-game interview. Um, yeah, and I'm sure he does have to think about it for a bit. I just I, I hope we get some we got some other good games tonight. Like I, I just I, I know early on we looked at a lot of series, you know, two zero. It's just let's make these eventful because I do think. The MLB broke the record for attendance and streaming yeah. this season. So it's like the, the rule changes have helped as far as making the game more enjoyable for fans and bringing people to their TV sets or watching the game live. So I I just want a good postseason to kind of end that out if, if you want to talk about growing and helping the game out. Um, so Dan Orlovsky, who is uh, a friend of the show, great guy, love his analysis, He's on Get Up, and for whatever reason, we can't play the audio or the video of this. Uh, audio is where I would, I would point to. Normally, we'd be able to do that. We're told we can't. Uh, on Get Up, uh, speaking on the behalf of the Patriots, Orlovsky and Rex Ryan are going back and forth. And Orlovsky, who you know is known for being the quarterback that steps out of the end zone, for whatever you want to say about his playing days, the, the, the dude, uh, he... He, he loves the game, and he does great work in analyzing and telling you about what he's seen. I think he communicates that well. And while Rex Ryan is discussing all that's wrong in New England and puts the blame on Mac Jones, Orlovsky jumps in on Get Up and says, well, if Mac Jones was in San Francisco, he would be playing like Brock Purdy. And then that's of course, erupts into this, you got to be kidding me, uh, Dan O. you got to be kidding me from Rex Ryan. Look, uh, it's not a coincidence that the former quarterback is saying this about the quarterback and the former coach is backing Belichick and blaming the quarterback, not the coach. That's first and foremost. Uh, second, while Orlovsky may be taking it a step too far saying it's Brock Purdy because I don't think Purdy gets enough credit, I also don't think Mac Jones is the place to point the blame in New England either. Uh, think about the coaching scenario that they put on him in year two. And now just look at the talentless and depthless Patriots roster right now on offense. And you think to yourself, okay, put him with the star-studded blue-chip players that are around Brock Purdy and the offense and the coaching that's a part of the 49ers in San Francisco. Yeah, Mac Jones would be pretty damn good. And, you know, not every quarterback goes in there and is good. Just ask Trey Lance, who they give, give away to Dallas. But, Davey, uh, I wish we could play the audio because it was great instead of just recapping, being a recap show for ESPN every day. Uh, but, you know, he's not wrong, but he's not, he's not giving Purdy enough credit either, Orlovsky here. 
Purdy definitely surpassing everyone's expectations, but it's, it is a good conversation to have whenever we discuss everything that is built around San Francisco and what they have in place on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And when you look at Kyle Shanahan, most people would argue he's top three play caller on offense in the league. So they're doing a great job of working towards his strengths. But I mean, of the 32 starting quarterbacks right now, Hut, how many do you think could actually step into that situation in San Francisco and look as smooth and as effective as we've seen Brock Purdy so far? Because I think it's actually a higher number where it's, I'm trying to like, let's let's throw Brock sure. Purdy onto the Patriots right now. It's going to be bad. Yeah, now, let, he let's might, throw, I, yeah. We'll just flip it though. I mean, yeah. There's only a handful of quarterbacks, and it would be the elite of the elite. That's what make uh, the what Brady did, where you've got you've got a, more pick sixes right now in Mac Jones's career than Brady had in his entire tenure in New England, or losses since Brady left. They've had more losses than Brady had losses in the regular season. That comparing it to that is not fair to where the expectation level should be, but. I mean, they haven't scored a touchdown in their last 34 drives. And he's been benched now in two straight games. There are not many quarterbacks, though, that you could place in New England and they would have success either. And, and it's been one of those situations where the coaching has not helped them. I thought bringing in Bill O'Brien would – I mean, it was hard for it to be worse than it was last season, but it seems like they're kind of on track for that. Yeah, but the, I think the, the thing to remember about – and you're right. I mean, it, it should have settled in. They also could have brought in more talent with this, um, w- with this group and with Bill O'Brien. Um, they've had now back-to-back weeks like this for the first time since 1996. I mean, it's not like we we this we we thought it could be bad. We didn't think it to be top three pick bad. Yeah, but if you have top five elite quarterback talent, things can be hidden. But this ball club just lacks blue chip talent, just about anywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, if you just if you think about the the lack of skill at the wide receiver position, speed, the fact that they don't invest in running back, and their defense is now depleted, it was a it was a team where the defense could keep them in games, you know, have them hang around. It's a lot. They're they're built in a similar fashion to the Tennessee Titans. They want to be a run first team, be sharp up front of the offensive line, win in the in the trenches, and on defense, keep it a field goal game. Allow the offense to go down. And honestly, they did that over the first couple games of the season, New England. They they had a they had the ball for whatever reason, Philadelphia went for it on that fourth and one at midfield. They had the ball to go win at the end of that game. And then the following week, I think they had another possession where they could have they ran out of time. They they had a lateral back to the offensive lineman. His knee was down as they're stretching for the off for the for the first down. Anyway, I mean the defense has done what it could with the talent that they had when healthy. And now you got Judon who's not going to be back until December. They're they're in as bad of a shape roster wise as any team in the AFC right now. Very much so. And it just kind of comes back to you often see this happen with several coaches where once they start to take over the general manager position it just does not work out for, while they might still be a good coach from the X's and no standpoint, it just doesn't mesh. And we've hit this point about three years ago for, for Bill Belichick, and we've talked about it. This is likely his last year in New England. I, I think so, yeah. I'm buying into that now. And it's, I, I mean, 
it's a, been a great run. It's been two decades worth, so it's it's hard to maintain that level of success in any sport. So the fact now it's coming to an end, I know all Patriots fans would be like, "Yeah, I would do it again." But uh, we're we're at the end of the of the road, and they've got a lot of stuff they need to do as far as what happens next with this organization because the general manager and the head coaching vacancy is uh, it's upon us. Well, the next storyline to come with this, if this play continues, and I, I think it can get really bad, is they had Josh McDaniels there for a decade, and he it was he seemed to be the heir apparent, the coach in waiting, and now Bill O'Brien's back. And Robert Kraft, he he wants to get back in the postseason and win. He said that this offseason, we haven't heard him speak on the team since. Coming up, we dive back into college football next. 